president. Um, maybe you guys know of one that I can't think of. I can't really. So the, I would say, ooh, I would say um, uh, Nelson Mandela, I guess. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, Hugo Chavez and Salvador Allende come to mind Yeah. Are they pre- on those... Are they were they presidents? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're they're, yeah, they're both nice. presidents. Not that they're like quote real, so you know they're not yeah. revolutionary socialists. But um, yeah, so uh, my favorite candidate is in the United States. It is James Harris. Ran. Uh, he was the Socialist Workers Party candidate in uh, two thousand eight. <laughs> oh, who I voted for in my first presidential election that I voted wow. in. Wow. Um, yeah, because I was super cool and was not going to vote for the Democrat or the Republican. Wow. You're wow. so ahead of your time. Yep. I was one of, I think, like 200 people in Washington that voted <laughs> for the Democrat. And it was, it was, it was between him and the, uh, the, the candidate that, uh, PSL always runs. Um, oh, Gloria Lariva. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was her. Um, and I, I voted for James Harris because, uh, basically he had a more workerist, less like there, there was some like kind of third world stuff going on with the PSL person that I wasn't that into. Well, I think I'll definitely have to say Jill Stein. Really? She had the best band of any, uh, of any presidential candidate that I know. Wait, she had a band? Did you not which, know this? Which which band? Oh, she was in like she, a, was, she was in a she band. was in an alternative band right. in the '90s. Yeah. Oh. And it was good. I mean, actually, it kind of sucked, but it's really <laughs> funny. It's like extremely '90s. Like if you just imagine like '90s Green Party alt rock grunge <laughs> post grunge. Like it's exactly the, what you could the imagine. The culture that gave us Nader. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh Don't be a hater. Vote for Nader. Now imagine that culture and the band that spawns it. Oh God. <laughs> right. Oh, Jesus. No, she's not actually. I'm just. It's just a joke. Um, what? <laughs> what? Joking not. No jokes permitted. This is a serious podcast game. <laughs> Welcome to Critical Support, your source for heavily caveated, highly conditional, completely correct takes on basically anything. I'm Jacob. I'm Teresa. I'm Preston. And I'm Gabe. And so before we get started, we just want to make an announcement. We are now accepting uh, submission topics. You can email them to criticalsupodcasts at gmail.com. Anything that you need, that you really need the correct perspective on, that you're really struggling with, send us your submissions, and if we think they don't suck, we will talk about them. Yes, and that's Critical Subpodcast, like the thing that goes in your butt. So you take those <laughs> topics, shove them up your ass, and see if you get an answer for them. Uh, that's Critical, C-R-I-T-I-C-A-L-S-U-P. P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Critical Sup Podcast. <laughs> which, which we'll just put in the episode notes so you can just copy-paste it rather than trying to piece together what Gabe just said. Right. <laughs> like an old 90s infomercial. This, this is on NPR. <laughs> on, you, you, have to, you have to hear this at dot o-r-g <laughs> h-t-t-p backslash backslash which is not it's w- not w- a backslash <laughs> that is the most irritating it really? thing no it's, it's a forward slash, slash oh, but oh. people say backslash because well, they just think it's it's it looks... it's pointed backward on the top or the bottom like it's, it's yeah it's, it's, see, it's that... always one of the two <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> i don't know <laughs> slashes be slashing 
Anyways, uh, Preston, I think you have our first topic. Yes, I will provide today's first topic. Uh, <coughs> I am proposing critical support for bike lanes. Uh, so fucking urbanist. <laughs> no, but I think this is a, like a genuinely interesting uh, topic, uh, especially within urban planning circles. And bike lanes are becoming a, a growing thing here in Seattle uh, and across uh, the country, and it's worth talking about. So, obviously, if you have a bike lane, you're protecting people. You know, people on not who. It's different from a sidewalk, obviously. It's uh, it's uh, because it's a bike lane, not a yeah sidewalk. for bike lanes, but it's also for like scooters and for people who are you know moving you know electric bikes and it's sort of become this intermediate speed lane concept where it's right. like if rollerblading if you want to want to rollerblade, <laughs> so it's a rollerblading lane. Even though know, roller, roller rollerbladers kind of kind of kind of weave back and yeah, forth. Rollerbladers don't follow the rules, practically. Okay? <laughs> okay, but bike lanes, you know, bi- bicycling, it's a pretty cheap way to get around. It can get you a pretty good distance um, in, a, in a pretty uh, short amount of time. Um, it's well, more reliable than a bus in the sense that you can just go whenever you want to go. Do you have a preference, uh, bike lanes that are just, like, painted on the side of the road, like, in the median, or bike lanes that are, like, fully separated by a curb? Do you think that's an important distinction? Um, I think I think for the purpose of this discussion, it doesn't particularly matter, um, although we are moving in the direction of, like, full, with the protected, with a buffer, with some posts and stuff. Right. Um, you know, as opposed to a lot of what we have currently and what portland has which is a lot of like just painted on kind of just between the parking and the drive lanes i mean in in the greater seattle area that's way more common sure than these right. weird separated things we have in seattle sure uh yeah the separated things are becoming more common across the country um yeah. because uh it's just safer right yeah because if you're in that painted lane it's it's called the door zone so basically anyone getting out of their car if they're not looking they're gonna like destroy someone uh biking by mm, right um, and people think and, it's parking and whatever yeah you know, people right. bleed into the did you guys see that easy. video of the the guy like in, just flipping out about the person that the trash people parked in his uh parked in the bike lane it was somewhere in europe i think oh man i did not see that bike lanes are very helpful for helping people get around uh by you know a, a cheap affordable uh affordable quick form of transportation uh good gets you some exercise um, obviously not for every situation. Obviously, you still need a very strong public transit system to go with it. Uh, the downside of bike lanes are, are, you know, one reason we might not want to offer critical support to them um, is that they are heavily associated with gentrification. Arguably, uh, a lot of the people advocating for these bike lanes are, you know, it is people of all income levels, but it is also people who can afford to live in an urban area in, you know, sort of the modern day Uh uh, especially as you know Seattle gentrifies and so that's that's a real problem that like we haven't we didn't start building these nice protected bike lanes because people have always been bicycling but now that there are like wealthy white people bicycling well now it's time to build these protected bike lanes right because everyone else just biked in the street well, yeah biked in the street or the, or I mean yeah like they found a way to people bike all the time it's just fancy ass white people who think they need a special lane to, for their biking sure well and see, that's where the discussion needs to needs to be had, because um, I think there's there, there's also the argument that you also want an all ages and abilities lane, because there's a lot of people who, who would be interested in bicycling around, but uh, don't currently have the confidence to do so, because doing so in traffic is fairly dangerous. 
um, the the injury rates are very high, uh, and even if they're, and when you do get into an, an incident uh, like I did, uh, crack in my wrist, um, it it can be it's almost always an injury. I mean, that was just you falling over. Yeah, but I'm just pointing out. <laughs> there was not a car related. There was not a, this, this was not, a sure. bike lane would not have uh, helped you. But, well, no, but a bike lane would have been designed to make that turn safely. What happened was I was making a turn, an aggressive turn, and yeah, it was my fault. I'm not arguing it wasn't, but it was designed for a car to make that turn like and there was right. no and it was a big metal grate which is obviously hostile to a bike and would not have been in a bike lane and so yeah you know when you put in a bike lane you have to consciously design it for bikes right and so if they're not going to change this the i mean the street is still going to go the way the street the goes. geometry would be that that's true but like the biggest one of the biggest factors of my crash was i slipped on a metal plate uh, and a metal plate would not be in a bike lane uh because you would anticipate that a bike has to go through there and make that turn um so i think we i think this is a good discussion i think it just just because it's there's this tension between like providing facilities for that are affordable versus providing facilities that rich people are advocating for uh especially in the era of gentrification well to me this just is this is kind of um i like i i would imagine that you know lower income people aren't out there advocating for bike lanes all the time because they have like more important shit to fight for and it, it seems like fighting for bike lanes is not the highest priority for for any like dedicated activist i mean except i mean the people whose life is biking i mean that's that's what they're out there for but it seems it seems so conditional like i think overall bike lanes are great we should probably have a lot more bike lanes it'd be great if more people were biking everywhere and we should try to encourage it but you know we see how urban development is like entirely based on capital and markets and so that means that any kind of improvements tend to be tied to gentrification tend to be tied to redevelopment so i would feel like i have critical support for bike lanes but you know like as a concept as a great thing but then if if it, if they're adding bike lanes in the context of bulldozing a neighborhood to put up luxury condos, then I would oppose it. But I'm not opposing it for the bike lanes. I'm opposing it for the you know the the overall impact that this redevelopment is having. If that if that makes sense, like mm-hmm. the bike putting the bike lane in there isn't the bad thing. It's it's kind of what that represents, and then the reason why the bike lane is going in is what mm-hmm. makes it bad. So. To me, like, bike lane's good, gentrification is bad. If, if you can stop gentrification by stopping a bike lane, then, yeah, you should probably oppose the bike lane, but... I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty not pretty uncommon. The most, like, uh, in terms of urban infrastructure, streetcars have an association with gentrification. So, like, when they built the South Lake Union streetcar, totally a gentrification tool. Um, right. Arguably, the Portland streetcar was pretty similar. Uh, you know, not really a great transit tool, but very good for improving your uh, land values. Also, uh, making biking much less safe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As we yeah, yeah. Bike lanes aren't usually in that category, but I see what you're saying. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute and put forward a position that I don't necessarily believe in, but was uh, argued to me uh, very emphatically by a man that I canvassed last summer. Um, and that is that bike lanes are terrible. They are the worst thing that has ever happened. Um, they represent the segregation of bicyclists from the rest of traffic, and that we should, instead of 
uh, sort of separating them off and you know creating sort of a, a, a sort of some separate but equal lanes. Um, we need to have a system that teaches everyone how to work together. Um, uh, and I, I, I kind of I kind of want this was not his language this this necessarily okay. but he had like a whole pamphlet he was ready to give me it was it was the oh it was wait I think I think right. you, I, remember I remember you telling me about I, this now I, I probably did it was it was the <laughs> highlight of my day but, um, yes I remember this uh, but I on some level I think he has a point because mm. um, bicyclists should just bike in traffic. When I, I used to bike around a lot, and I would just bike in the lane. See, by, where, where bicyclists get into trouble is when they're trying to bike in the lane but not in the lane, when there's not a bike lane, but they kind of want there to be a bike lane, so they're biking on, like, the very edge of the lane, and cars still think they can be they should be able to pass them. No, just bike, like, 30 to 50% into the lane. Cars will not be able to pass you without going without going into another lane like they would if they were passing a car. And they'll get pissed at you, but uh, who gives a fuck? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about this topic in some respects because as somebody who was um, hit by a car um, in a hit and run and pretty grievously injured by that, if there had been a bike lane in that instance, I probably would not have gotten hit by that car. And in general, as somebody that used to bicycle a lot more than I do now and used it actually as a working class person as my primary mode of transportation just because that was like physically feasible um, where I lived in the Bay Area. I appreciated bike lanes. What I actually think is even better than bike lanes though is like bike paths and like building out, extending, building more bike paths was would actually be like the sort of ideal um, situation in my view but again I agree with I kind of agree with Jacob like it's a two I don't think that's an necessarily an either or like I think we could potentially do both um, and you know I wouldn't have if we did what Jacob is, is suggesting then I probably also wouldn't have gotten hit by a car yeah and I agree with um, Gabe that it's all contextual too like I agree with Gabe's argument, but, like, I can also see that, um, you know, under certain conditions, like, we're, um, you know, massively expanding public transportation, bike, encouraging biking in one way or another um, could be part of an overall, like, Seattle Green New Deal or Green New Deal in general, I, I think. So I guess I would say, um, yeah. I have certain caveats, but I, I would say probably I would be willing to extend critical support to bike lanes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really agree with part of that. Um, expanding bike paths would be an amazing thing. Uh, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it'd be really good to have fully, just, fully that, separated. That means the fully separated, like, paved trails, basically. Yeah. That, okay. Mm -hmm. And along those lines, I'm very, I, I, I think that pedestrianizing streets is a really good idea. Mm -hmm. um, sort of removing cars entirely except for like you know during limited limited times of the day or you know on you know special cases deliveries whatever um but yeah i i think that that is the that is a direction more in line with an ex a massive expansion of public transit just building bike lanes everywhere because um bougie people want to have uh an easy way to get some exercise on the way to their uh stupid high-paid job <laughs> i yeah i i do not don't care yeah i'm gonna say no critical support for bike lanes yeah oh, really well okay, okay. I, if i could give some anecdotal evidence i there's two places in the world i've been where people 
fucking bike where it, like at least half of the people you see on the street are in bikes instead of cars. And one of those was in Beijing, in China, and the other place was in Europe. And they're very different. In Beijing, there's obviously no bike lane, or I mean, this was, this was like almost 15 years ago, so it couldn't be different now. But at the time, no bike lanes, just everyone is fucking mixed in. Millions and millions of bikes, but it's completely chaotic. I mean, it's extremely dangerous. Like, people are just weaving, like cars will pull up on the sidewalk sometimes, bikes will go up on the sidewalk in the street, everyone's just chaotically going around each other, people are ignoring lights. It's kind of crazy, and like, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really work, it's not that great. I mean, you know, p people get where they're going and it's like everyone lives their day-to-day -day life, but it's not that great. In Europe, most of the big cities have tons and tons of fucking bike lanes. In fact, it's like, you cannot stand in the bike lane as like a as like a tourist who's like, oh, what am I doing? This is the sidewalk, right? Because you will get hit by a bike. Like there are so many bikes in the bike lanes. You will get hit if you're just like standing around in the bike lane gawking. And it was pretty cool. Like bike lanes are everywhere. If you rent a bike somewhere, it's like the best way to get around the city as a tourist. And it seems like tons and tons of people are just riding their bikes everywhere as just a regular means of transportation. Way, way more than anything I've seen in the US. And they all have lanes or like protected lanes or lots of protected lanes and then also painted lanes and then lots of paths as well like, lots of uh, paths like yeah. side by side with the sidewalk right pretty common and it was it was really cool it was really inspiring to see and and it, it did seem like it was you know the result of very large public work projects not like specific little you know nitpicky um people asking for bike lanes on their one route to their bougie job you know where they're wearing like the full the full gear the full spandex uniform. yeah the full spandex, spandex uniform with their like, 1800 carbon fiber yeah, bike door. no you know it was Fuck just that no yeah, yeah yeah so so to me just seeing that i i say i say i like bike lanes critical support for bike lanes it was like Tons and tons of people are biking, and it works really well, and I like that. Yeah. So I have, I have one final argument, um, and that's that the expectation of bike lanes is actually a bigger problem than the absence of bike lanes. Um, so I people biking on the sidewalks is a huge sort of pet peeve of mine. Um, just I, people, people think that there should be a bike lane, and so they're not comfortable biking just in the street with the cars. So then they bike on the sidewalk and endanger pedestrians and like don't give right of way to pedestrians, which you have as a pedestrian, you have right of way over a bike. I, I used to, um, when I lived in the U District, it was the most frustrating thing to be, uh, you're just walking along this sort of narrow sidewalk and then someone's coming behind you in like some stupid um, like line bike or something <laughs> ringing their little bells asking you to get to the side. They're just like, dude, bike in the fucking street. There's a whole street right there. Yeah, biking in the street fucking sucks. It no, sucks. it doesn't. I used to bike in the street all the time. Everywhere in Seattle. It's so did fine. I. It sucks. It's, it's not fine. I mean, it's like, yeah, day to day, nothing happens, <clears throat> but it's like I've never been hit by a car, but I've had so many fucking close calls biking in the street. Like, I used to live down, I used to live in the International District and bike to my job downtown, which was like Those are not barely over streets. a mile. Right. Yeah, and I'd like bike on 4th Avenue, and it was like, it was so fucking scary. Like, if I stopped paying attention for a second, I mean, it was like over. I don't know. Yeah. Bike, lanes, bike lanes are awesome. Riding in the street sucks. I want to come in, like, I, I think Jacob's point about, you know, I, yeah, this is, yeah, we should pedestrianize more streets. We should definitely, like, kick cars off of more streets. But the the point of a bike lane, it, bike lanes are for cars. Bike lanes are not intended for, or 
if we could pedestrianize more streets, then yeah, we would just kick out the cars. A bike lane is a way to accommodate bikes and cars on the same street, provided that you can't just boot the cars off, either due to political reasons or like genuine logistical reasons that you could not do that. You know, yeah, we need to be addressing car culture, but that's also difficult because with the suburbanization of poverty, we have this weird inverted thing where like the most bourgeois mode of transportation you can imagine, the car, um, is being used by working class people and the most working class forms of transportation, like the streetcars and bicycles, which, you know, were used by working class people a century ago are now suddenly symbols of gentrification. It's a really sick inverted thing that uh, is not, it makes designing our cities really impossible to do uh, because of, um, you know, how, how class has inverted everything on its head. And so it's, it's difficult to argue, you know, like restraints on cars because of this difficulty. But I think in order to have, to, to help people realize that like, we need to build more bike infrastructure. We need to kick cars off more streets. You need to have something that people can use in the interim. And yeah, you sh there's some streets that are pretty easy to say, like, let's pedestrianize Pike Place. Let's pedestrianize University Way. But there's others where, like, you know, it would be difficult to, more difficult to do that. And you wouldn't be able to get uh, a bike path going the whole way. And so... And there have been studies that show that most people aren't comfortable biking with mixed traffic. Um, it's like uh, uh, there was like a Portland study that, you know, surveyed people. How comfortable are you riding in this area? How comfortable would you be to bike to work? And a lot of most people were like, I'm very confident. I take the lane. People know I'm there, uh, you know, and then most people are like, I'm very interested. It would be a great way to get to work, but I'm scared, basically. Also, I think. Um, what you're describing is a huge, pe a huge pet peeve of mine as well. Like I, I have been almost run over by bikes, um, by um, yeah. biking on mm -hmm. the sidewalk. But I think that's, I think that's different. It's it's basic, basically a biking etiquette issue, which is that you know we also have a pedestrian etiquette issue. We also have a driving etiquette issue. It's like people are are being kind of assholes um, <laughs> when they are in public. You know, and like <laughs> assholes in public. Yeah. Oh no. It's, it's a universal problem. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, we are. We've been talking about this for quite a while. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm gonna say no. I get the impression other people disagree with that. So. Yeah. What are let's, your votes? let's move to a vote. I yeah. say yes. Critical support for bike lanes. I say yes, critical support, because I think from an, from an infrastructure design, I don't think the problem is infrastructure design. I think the problems arise out of like the class difficulties of transportation. Um, but I think in general, we need to move to other forms of transportation that are less carbon dependent, and bikes are great. Yeah, I, I would also extend my critical support to bike lanes. Okay, it has been decided. Critical support for bike lanes. Highly <laughs> critical, though. Highly critical. Yeah, I mean, you all are wrong, but we can... <laughs> maybe someday we can bring this up again. Um, anyhow, uh, Gabe, you got a topic for us? Oh, yes. Um, okay, so I'm not sure of, of the, like, short way to say this, but maybe maybe the best way to put it is 
treating your pets like kids. Oh, uh, okay. So, yes. so, so, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, oh, give the case for and against this um, to to help explain this. So, so critical support for dog babies. Critical support for yeah, obviously for treating, not just dog dogs, be cats, but, but treating your or critical support for, for right. treating. For, piglets. For, yeah, piglets. Pig babies. Uh, raccoons. I don't know. Whatever people are into these days. Parakeets. If it was raccoons, it'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't so, have a problem if it was just raccoons. Marmot. So, Marmots. Okay, so on the one hand, there's an argument to say if you have, if you're taking care of a living thing, you should do the best that you actually can to take care of it. You should give it a great diet. You should give it a great life. You should make sure it gets lots of exercise and social time, whatever, because... You're, you're in charge of taking care of this living thing and, and you have a responsibility to give it a good life to the greatest degree that you can. So that's one argument. The other argument is that it's bougie as fuck and dumb and annoying when people treat their dogs like a, like a child. And you see all over the world in many places, people just let their dogs and cats and, and shit just live their life and they're fine and they do great. And, you know, I don't think it's it's bad to, like, say, I'm not going to pay $50,000 for my dog to have a cancer surgery. Like, I can't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, even though it's my dog, like, I, I would do it for my kid, but not my dog. Like, I think a lot of people do that, and I think that's perfectly fine. And in my opinion, you don't have a responsibility to do that. And, you know, like, um, in many places, people just let their dogs, like, run around and they're kind of like street dogs, and, and they come back their home. Kids run around in some places too. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Incredible. <laughs> but but you know like like I don't think it's bad to buy like your dog food from from Safeway and then give that to your dog. Like even if you can afford to buy much nicer food, you know what I mean. I, I guess get, get, I guess my question is. So so I, I don't think any of us would say it's 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 wrong to like not give your dog everything everything that it possibly deserves but is it wrong to go to do the other thing is it are we are we are we against treating your dog like a child and like taking it with you everywhere you go and and being like a little bougie fuck with your dog yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean the fact they use the term little bougie fuck may kind (laughs) of okay obviously this is loaded and i have opinions on it yeah yeah so you so you can disagree with my opinions on this okay that's that's good (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so in my opinion, uh, as we have previously discussed, I have my feelings about dogs. The main problem is not people treating their dogs that way. If you want to treat your dog as your child and have it be this weird substitute for a child because whatever you have going on in your life, um, and you want to do that in your own private home, in your own private time, that's on you. People want to do all kinds of freaky stuff. <laughs> that's in the... As long as it's your problem, I don't actually have an issue with that. It's not your business. doesn't have anything to do with me. It's when you make it my problem. That mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's when you take your dog into public space and you insist that everyone else treat it like it is your child. If someone walks onto the bus with a small child, and that small child is kind of being an asshole and, like, making a lot of noise and, like, bothering other people and, you know, wandering around and, like, doing... It's like, I have a fair amount of sympathy for that because kids are kids. 
and like a parent should generally try to wrangle them but some kids are you know kind of out of control and that's just the way it is i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna feel victimized by someone's kid on public transit when someone's fucking dog is doing that i want to boot it out the fucking window (laughs) keep your fucking dog to yourself yeah i pretty much agree with jacob on this one I really, the, like, people taking their dogs, I'll just add one thing. People taking their dogs to work is annoying in itself, but people taking their dogs, their large dogs, or even their fucking small dogs on public transportation during rush hour is one of the most frustrating things, where it's like you're literally making people have to miss the bus because the bus is totally full and you're and your stupid dog is taking up all this fucking room. Like, what? What are you thinking? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I remember being on the bus and seeing this, um, you know, middle-aged white lady with a yoga mat and her little dog in a purse get on the bus and sit down next to someone. And the woman who, who she sits down next to, this woman very, very politely turns her and says, excuse me, I'm, I'm allergic to dogs. Would you sit somewhere else? And this woman says, this dog is hypoallergenic. And, oh and proceeds to argue with this woman oh for like God. five minutes. Oh. You had to witness this? Yes, I how, witnessed this. How did this. you not become erased by cringe? <laughs> Jeez. It was, and, and she's like yelling at this woman that she has, she is entitled to sit wherever she wants with her dog. This is not Rosa Parks, okay? This is. Yeah, I mean, that was like the level of anger that she had. And then finally she like gets up and moves to a seat closer to me and she's like very like loudly like complaining to herself like stupid woman this dog's hypoallergenic you can't be allergic to it and then me and I like glance at this this other guy on the bus and we just both burst out <laughs> I mean solidarity I guy. we just looked at each other and just knew how stupid this was I just want to interject there's nothing like solidarity on a public transit when all of you have witnessed a thing and you are all now like holy shit that happened like watched the guy get punched and we all like talked we were all like oh my god is that guy okay we all just talked about it for like 10 minutes it's like you break through that like glass bubble that you're kind of in on public transit and it's really great yeah no i it's i find it annoying deeply annoying i i whenever i see it on like social media i go oh it just it doesn't i and i can't really explain why like i I can't really put a finger on it it's just it it does seem to be like elevating the, this thing to, to to a place where it should not be. The, I actually would go further, well, not further than Jacob in, in terms of his, like, anger about it. Like, I see dogs on public transit. I just go, like, all right, I guess we're going to do that. <laughs> um, but actually, like, when people, like, post on, like, the fact that people are doing it and posting on social media and, like, sharing, that, and they talk to other people, like, as if they are children, that mm-hmm. actually bothers me more. Like, that's, like, the this social idea that, like, mm-hmm dog babies is like okay you can really like your dogs don't let me don't let me stop you from that but like it's not it's different it's not a child and i find it weird that we're weird is it is it like a responsibility thing where like you don't or like a like an effort thing where it's like i want to treat it like a child but i also don't want to like go through the very large amount of labor that it would honestly take to have a child. It's a lot of labor to have one of those dogs. Yeah. But not the, as much as that labor. Not as much as... Yeah. I, I had a coworker um, who had a theory about this, about, like, everyone in Seattle and their stupid dogs. and <laughs> More dogs th- than children. Yeah. Her theory was it was about control. 
It was about people want something that they can be parental toward, but also completely control every aspect of its life. Whoa. And so it's like people don't like, like when you when you have a kid, you get to be a parent and you get to all the like responsibility that comes with that and you spend a lot of money and time and all these things. But ultimately, the kid's their own person. They get to make their own decisions. They have autonomy. Yeah. You have to, at some point, let go of that. Versus with a dog, you never have to do that. You can get rid of the dog if it's if it turns out to be a problem. You can It can get sick, and it can just die. And you don't ever have to like actually deal with the emotional complexities that would come with, with having a kid, with having someone that you are responsible for raising. So people want like all of the good parts about having a kid without some of what can be downsides. So they just get a dog, and it's the stupidest, most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> well, okay, I'm just gonna go back to the early, the first part of your um, argument um, originally, which is some people like if people want to do that and keep it within the confines of their own home for whatever reason. Um, I'm totally fine with that. Like, I did, I have known people that could not have, discovered they could not have children, and so Mm. they, you know, decided to get dogs. Fucking adopt a child. Well, that's not the route that they chose. But they were not obnoxious, like, dog owners. They were totally normal about their dogs, you know? (laughs) Like, they loved their dogs, and they were super... Uh, caring towards them and like but they you know invested in getting them trained and like generally just had a normal um, attitude about it and so I don't think it necessarily has to be this neurotic thing but you you notice it when it's a neurotic thing and like and there is plenty of that out there as well yeah so it seems like there's a fair amount of consensus that we're we're moving toward are there any final points that haven't been raised just want to add one wrinkle like it feels like it's kind of like pda it's like i don't need to know that you love your dog this much like you you don't need to tell me you treat it like a child it's like i can if you bring the dog over go ahead that's fine i'd love to see your dog critical support for dogs but like uh, <laughs> we we have not decided that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, it's just I it it's it it feels performative. Like it feels yeah. like I mean, and then yeah, a lot of society is performative. There's a lot of things we do that are performative, but like that crosses a line for me, and it doesn't feel like in terms of it doesn't feel like it crosses a lot it, it's productive at all for like building struggle you know it doesn't <laughs> the, no one no one is moving into struggle because you pamper your dog you know yeah i'll just say i'll just say for all the haters out there i do i like cute dogs i like looking at pictures of cute dogs but it's like it's like it's like what jacob said when you're when it's when you're when you're like forcing your dog onto someone and like refuse to leave it at home ever you know, mm-hmm. if you if you won't if you have to bring it with you everywhere you go, and insist that everyone else treats it like a like a human baby, then it's too it's too much. <laughs> right. So is this? Wait, I have one last. Okay. Thing. Just want to say that uh, one additional caveat is um, when it, it when it is puppies both for personal reasons (laughs) and because I feel like it's more justified in bringing the dog with you to work, for example, when you have a puppy that you can't really, kind of needs more um, attention, but also because they're fucking cute and I don't mind them 
uh, like, I don't mind seeing them. On they're the actually like babies. Yeah, they are like babies, and they're fucking adorable. Right, and they take up less space. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they actually fit in, like, if that lady in the bag had, like, literally just walked away, probably would not have been an issue. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. see if the lady said, oh, I'm sorry, I'll sit somewhere yeah. else. Mm-hmm. The problem no is problem. the person, not the dog. Exactly. Yes. The, the majority exactly. of the time. Yeah. But, yeah, so... If 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 the way we want to formulate this is critical support for people treating their dogs like babies, then absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I, I, I said no, yeah. no, no critical I think support. Not not not, dogs. not formulate as critical support for dog babies, like as if it is critical support for the dogs themselves. Right. No, but it's, like, it's all about the people. Right. Critical critical support for these people doing this thing. Hell no. Okay. Right. But it's, I, I would only say adult dogs, grown dogs. Oh, or or, well, or teenage, that, do- that, teenage I, I don't think dogs. that fits in. That, like people treating puppies differently than rest. That that is mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Like I, I don't. I don't that's, think that's okay, that's... That doesn't fit into this category. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. No critical support for dog babies. Uh, treat your dog as like a normal person. But we like puppies. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. We're gonna. We're just gonna like get all the Seattle hate. <laughs> yeah. Just bring it on. We're very dog heavy. Bring it on. So well, feed off your hatred. I know. What well, is it? Two uh, topics. Yeah, I mean, two yeah, out of fine. two dogs. Two, I, two dogs, two furious. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit. I have a friend who's a dog groomer, and she like posts tons of really cute pictures of all the dogs that she grooms and all this stuff, but. She's like very, also very down to earth. Like she takes her dogs to dog shows, but she like doesn't have to bring her dog with her everywhere she goes. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she can leave her dog at home and go out. And you know, and like if her if we're at her house and her dog's out of control, she can go put it in the room. <laughs> like, also, fucking hire a dog walker. Yeah, of... or just live somewhere where you don't need to worry about that. If you yeah. live in a tiny ass apartment, don't have a dog. Yeah, like, yeah. it's not it's not actually that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> having a dog is not your like sovereign right <laughs> anyhow so moving on look Jacob you're the most passionate about this topic I'm definitely yeah I I will admit well is this gonna be the I mean, Jacob I, I is did, angry episode by Clay I did say little bougie fuck but I just like swearing so <laughs> right okay so there's some real class rage I felt over yeah. here <laughs> yeah well there's a there's there's a non-zero chance that some of my coworkers will end up listening to this at some point, so I don't really want to be too pointed about my my dogs at work angst. But there there is there is a lot of daily dog at work angst. Um, so, anyways, the topic I'm proposing is critical support for work. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but okay, bring it on. Context, please. Uh, work is good, and anti-work uh, leftism and sort of versions of socialism that emphasize leisure uh, are naive about the way that people actually find meaning in the world, and that having a uh, sort of vocation and a thing that you dedicate time and energy to that is useful to the rest of society is intensely meaningful. And we shouldn't attempt to destroy that because of how bad work is under capitalism. And the idea that we're just going to have these lives of um, uh, vacuous, endless leisure time is um, both 
false in that that's not going to happen and also not a goal worth pursuing. Yeah, I think you can sometimes see this with UBI advocates. Yes. That's kind of where it crops up the most is where it's like, oh, we're going to automate everything so we don't need to work. Yeah. And well, like, and, 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 and even in a lot of the a lot of the Green New Deal stuff is a lot about like, we'll, we'll, we'll just have a lot more free time, which is where everyone finds meaning. And it's like, well, sort of, but our our work should also be meaningful. I haven't seen it as much in Green New Deal stuff, but I'll admit I'm not as well read on that. So uh, it's possible there are strains of... Green leisureism uh, <laughs> uh, that exists out there. I'm just imagining someone chilling under a tree, and that's the Green New Deal. Um, <laughs> um, I agree that uh, work does matter. I, I think there is also a strain of you know of, of you know the mod of neoliberal capitalism that's like work should be your passion. And I think that is something to push back against also because I, I know that's not what you're saying, but like while we're talking about like mm-hmm. just the concepts of work, um, you know, there, there's like, oh, you know, it's the whole like if you find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's like, no, that's also kind of bullshit, too, because there's a limited capacity in which you'll be effective at doing this work. Uh, you know, you don't want to be doing necessarily that work. Not everyone can sustain like 80 hour right. weeks doing stuff they love to do. Right. Like I'm, I'm lucky that I'm doing a few things that I like to do, but I also need to not be doing things sometimes. In, like, the Soviet Union, that was kind of, that was, like, the culture that they were trying to create, was, like, a culture of of work, of life, of being an industrial worker and making life about work, and, you know, and that wasn't even about finding the most fulfilling work, it was just, like, life is great, because you get to work and have nice things. I, I, I mean, I guess, like, reading, um, what's that book? Uh, it was, it was Trotsky's book about... Revolution Betrayed? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he kind of wrote about how they were, like, developing this, like, piecework system and, like, trying to encourage people to work more and make their life all about work. And, like, the people who worked the hardest were, like, there was a special group of right. Stankovists or something? Um, who were, like, the yeah. who worked the hardest and they worked the most and they would get, like, they were moved to, like, a special kind of class where they got, you know, more... Uh, rewards and, and, and stuff than everyone else. Um, you know, we're trying to, to make work life. And I, that's maybe, maybe anti-work leftism is like a reaction to that to an extent. Yeah, it's, it was a, uh, they were modeling themselves on uh, Alexei Stokhanov. Oh, boxer and kind of all that idea from Animal um, Farm. I'm not really sure. I, I'm, I'm willing to go into what it is, but I, I just wanted to get the word right so people can look it up if they want to. If I am not mistaken, I believe this stuff definitely predates all of that. I, I kind of recall Marx um, talking, sort of pushing back against this whole idea um, in certain writings, but I don't, I don't know offhand, uh, can't cite them offhand. But I think I agree with um, everything that's been put forward. I, I think... For me, it kind of hinges on how we're defining work, um, because if we're talking about, you know, obviously labor under capitalism, that it's fucked up, you know. Um, I don't know if this is a worthwhile distinction, but we could talk about uh, sort of labor versus work and what um, that means. So labor being labor under capitalism, which is, you know, exploited and... Um, as as it currently exists and has existed is not something we should be extending support to at all. But if work means any sort of effortful activity uh, that is um, 
you know, contributing to your community or society broadly, I think we could pro- I, I would be comfortable extending um, critical support, and I would agree that that's there's nothing intrinsically wrong. There's something, in fact, it's absolutely necessary for us to uh, sustain ourselves and, um, you know, under socialism, we'll still be doing that, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, I guess, like, there will be a lot of self-reproductive labor. There could be a lot of self-reproductive labor that we could be doing if we had more leisure time, though. And I think that that is part of what... When I hear the Green New Deal advocates advocating for for less work and having more leisure time, I envision that as like, okay, if I only worked, you know, 15 hours a week, that would give me theoretically enough time to like maybe plant a garden and cultivate food um, for myself or do something or work in a community garden or do something, do other things that are... Still productive, but different. Yeah, like... I could engage in more self-reproductive labor that is actually, like, more sustainable. Right. Um, mm. So, anyway. And, and advocating for more leisure time and a shorter work week isn't the same as anti-work leftism. Yeah. You know, this. yeah, right. I just think it's important to, you know, make that distinction. Like, say, like, I think a 40-hour work week is too long, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. You know, and I think, obviously, there's always going to be some jobs that you have to work more than 40 hours from time to time but in general you know we should have more leisure time but yeah there's a difference between saying we should have more leisure time and saying we should have all leisure time all the time and that's the most important thing to fight for or that work is fundamentally bad or oppressive or something like that right Right. which is what some people say right Right. and it's like the the idea like it is this sort of neoliberal mantra about like your work should be your passion and it's like but that's only a problem because of the way work is now like that's not wrong it's just they've kind of made a parody of it Mm-hmm. Like right. you should the the and main the the main thing you're doing with your life should be something that you enjoy and find meaning in and whatever it's that's that is absolutely correct it's just that's it's impossible. used in bad faith yeah too. exactly it's used yeah. in ab- it's 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 used in bad faith because there's so much exploitation to be well, had in yeah, it yeah and it's 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 attached to a notion that um, that things can be like that right now. And most and people can't. can't follow their dreams right yeah that's not and realistic it, for most people mm-hmm. yeah for most yeah. And it's like the... Like, everyone's not going to be an astronaut. Everyone's not going to be the president. Everyone's not going to be a big business leader. That's just not how the world works. And it it just gets attached to this idea that if if you have failed to find work that you are passionate about, that you have failed, that that's your fault. Mm -hmm. When it's it's not. The system does not provide work. Like, I've, I've, I've had a... A four-year degree in history. I'm trained as a uh, cultural historian, and there is not work in that. I I loved doing that, but it was like there was all indication that if I pursued it farther, there there was society had not provided work for that for people trained in that, and yeah, and, that, and that's not my fault. Like I I didn't fall short because of that. But. Yeah, I actually have a little maybe my my take on work is a little different than than that or. When I think of work, I think of something that is, like, socially necessary. So we this needs to happen. Like, the garbage needs to be taken out. Like, people need... Mm-hmm. We need to go check the power lines. We need to... Socially necessary, but not necessarily something people are, like, rearing to do. That's... 
kind of what I think of when I think of work. And I think that's still meaningful. I think you still we still need that even in a socialist society. You need there's things that need to happen that in order for all of us to continue functioning, we, we will all talk about it. We will all try to determine what is socially necessary in a, you know, a conscious democratic way. But sometimes you just need someone to go clean shit off the street. Sometimes you need to just pick up, you know, we need to go clean, you know, th- there's just a lot of tasks in society that can't be automated that people need to do. Yeah. And those and, can be fulfilling. Yeah. And I think that's fulfilling, but I also don't think necessarily that but that's what I think of when I think of work. I think what you're describing, like, I want to pursue cultural, you know, studies of cultural history. I think by reducing the work week, you would have more time to do that. No, but that, that, that's, that's not what I'm talking yeah. about at all. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the, the idea that what we think of as meaningful work is necessarily oppressive is part of the problem that I'm describing. Like, the type of warehouse work that I do now... I actually really like a lot of aspects of it, the sort of organizational component of like finding a way to make this system of distribution work is kind of fulfilling. The problem is uh, the conditions of it suck and the hours are long and it's fucking freezing cold in our warehouse because they're too cheap to heat it. And it's like all, all, all of these things it that pile up. doesn't pay a living wage. Yeah, and it doesn't pay. And it's like all of these things pile up to make it pr- a, you know, pretty shit work for a lot of people. Right. But, but it's the like, work, the task you are, yeah. the task you are supposed to be doing. Yeah, the the basic task that we are doing is itself interesting. And I, I, I don't. If it was thirty hours a week and I was paid uh, three times as much, it would be a great job. Well, it's right. like why mm-hmm. why, you know, people would fight so hard to protect coal mines, you know, because like it's like a the job. And, and the, the union and, and everything that the job provided for them made it made it satisfying and you felt like you had a, a good job and a role to play and, a, and an important place in society and you provided for yourself and your family and all this kind of stuff. And so that type of work can be fulfilling if it's if it's properly compensated and you have an actual say in your own destiny and the yeah. way that you know your job and company is run instead of just being, a tool of the bosses, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm just thinking, you know, there, there are going to be tasks that are interesting, but not necessarily people are like, I want to pursue this as like, it is not your passion. And that is perfectly fine. That's actually yes. good. It's good to have a task that is socially relevant, that you can do, that almost anyone can do with enough training, mm-hmm. that, but everyone's doing that. Like that's everyone would understand that's what we mean by work. And then we finish work and then we would go do other things that we are interested in. Like that's what that leisure aspect is for. Mm-hmm. And I think given that society is so twisted the other way right now, where like either work is death or and kills your ability to pursue your passions, or work has to be your passion and you get exploited when that happens then I think it makes sense to a degree to try to emphasize the opposite of that. But there is still value in work. So I, I understand where people are coming from when they're, when they're making that argument of like, give me more leisure time so I can go plant a garden or I can do pursue other things that are productive in a different way that are not work in the sense that like we didn't societally decide that, that we needed to do that. But things that come out of that could become socially necessary or are very productive to our culture, to our lifestyle to all our things but yeah I, I guess you know when i think of work i just think of something that's like we need to do this um uh, but no one's and there might be some people who might be jumping to do it but not enough people who are like passionate about like cleaning roadkill or something 
I actually wouldn't mind that job. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, see, but the thing no, is, like, you just get the drive around, like, but this is your community. Yeah, but that's the difference between I wouldn't mind it and like that's all I want to do, right? Like, you didn't study cleaning roadkill in in school to, and you oh, didn't yeah, pursue that, right? So, I think it would be really cool if we had like Jacob, the roadkill cleaning guy, for like twenty hours a week, and then like the rest of your time that's now free, you would talk, think about. You would pursue whatever you wanted to do. You know, you could grow a garden. You could, you know, what, whatever. Well, I yeah. think they're, 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 and it's, the kind of the danger in, in that, though, is that those whatever traditionally blue-collar things that are absolutely 100% necessary, other stuff is also very necessary, too. Yeah. Like, oh, like yeah. Art, art and history and are teaching things, and right. care work care work oh yeah exactly. those no, things are crucial science and you know and it's to our detriment as a society that we don't fund those things like and i said socially decided right like the, mm-hmm. the biggest problem now is that we don't decide at all it's just sort of is like we need this to support it's whatever is profitable right, right. i yes. also i also think it's sort of problematic in some senses to make this distinction about it ha- work can only be when it's something that nobody wants to do because I think that like all of that all of that sort of depends on the conditions of the thing you know like going back to what Jacob says like a lot of the things that we don't want to do it's because the conditions of doing it suck that's and true. so, like, change those conditions, and then it becomes real blurry. What is what is work, and what under that sort of rubric, it becomes right. real blurry because, like, a lot of things that are socially necessary that not everybody would want to do, some people do want to do, like cooking, like I don't know, whatever it is, like mm. caring for old old people, like I don't know, you know, there's any number of things. It's just too subjective, I guess. Right, like people aren't necessarily like people don't like you know mcdonald's burger flipping is seen as not glamorous not so much because flipping burgers is the problem or using that sort of awesome technology is a problem but because of the wages you get and the lifestyle that that implies uh it's sort of the class position implied Mm, by that work and and the sort of grueling way that that work is currently run yeah is Mm -hmm. right so it kind of seems like we are moving toward um or that we are more or less in a consensus. I'm. I'm. Adv- I've been advocating critical support for work. Yes. 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 Gen- general agreement. Yes. Okay. It has been decided. Critical support for work. Go and get a job. Anyways, for our next topic, Teresa. I have to decide. Um, shit. Okay. I guess I'll just propose one, and if you guys don't like it, I'll propose another. Sure. Critical support for, okay, I was going to say, um, Jacob's minor Twitter fame, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think, I can't really see any reasons why that even needs to yeah, be that's, critical that's support. Un, that's uncritical support. So, we'll, we'll stand, yeah, Jacob. I don't, I, I don't think that, that, yeah, I don't, I don't That was a fun flurry. It was deeply weird, but <laughs> I mean, there's not, there's not a lot to discuss. No. You, you said Medicare for y'all, and people were like, hell yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I'm not even the first person to say that by a huge margin. No, but they were like, first, someone in Seattle said it, oh shit. That was basically kind of... I think most people hadn't heard it, and I hadn't heard anyone else say it, but it's, it's a really obvious joke. So. Yeah. So then I was going to say um, Twitter.com, but I don't know. We already did YouTube recently, so I don't know if we want to do that. 
I have another one in the wings, but I also don't know if you guys will like that. But then I have a third one. You know, you 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 could be like eighty percent less worried about how we're gonna feel about this and just put out a topic. That's the point of this, actually, is to put out think, a topic. I think we should go for Twitter. I think yeah, that's a fun one. I don't okay. think we'll talk about it for fifteen minutes. Okay. Yeah. So, right. so Chris, do you have a case or any info no, you not, want to start with? Not really. I mean, I I, I guess I can share that I, I don't really use it very much. I mainly just use it to occasionally lurk and <laughs> like people other people's stuff, but I, I don't really post or anything like that. So I mainly it's I don't find it user friendly. I th- I find it weird. Um, and that's the main reason why I don't use it. I would say no critical support for Twitter. That place is a hellhole. It's a nightmare. It's could you be more specific instead of speaking in these sort of uh, uh, overly hostile generalities? <laughs> nope. Aren't, aren't giving us any any. This is the world's shittiest material. polemic. <laughs> yeah, right. I just think everyone should agree with me by default. Um, I, okay, I don't know. It's just like there's lots of really funny stuff on there. There's also lots of extremely toxic stuff. It's, it's just, it, it, it seems like a tremendous waste of time in a huge bubble. And... I think it's really funny that it kind of crashed Kamala Harris's campaign because like <laughs> all of her all of her like staffers were like so invested in like pleasing the Twitter crowd and trying to win the Twitter war that they like didn't invest in real world organizing. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of funny, but it also just shows like the danger of Twitter. And like whenever I see some hot button issue, like I, I was on Twitter for a while and I had to stop because it was kind of like addicting. Which is again another reason why Twitter's bad. But, but, <laughs> like I just remember seeing like these just like insane arguments within the the left on Twitter about these things, and like these, you know, hundreds of comments, long threads, all these people like debating with you know one sentence words, and just going so deep into these issues, but not deep, still only being at surface level. And then it gives you this impression that there's this, like, wide debate about this issue when actually it's only, like, a very small number of extremely online people who are debating about something. And it doesn't really give you an adequate image of, like, what people actually think about something. But it projects the image that it's what people are thinking. It projects the image that that this is what people are talking about when it's really not. It's really just what a small number of online people are talking about. Right. So being online... Is 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 not a class bound thing though. So people have this like there there's this phrase like Twitter's not real life, and it's like sure like just because something is like trending on Twitter or like a topic a major topic of discourse on Twitter doesn't mean that like there is a broader uh, societal conversation about it or anything like that. That that is true, but it is a fairly accurate cross section of society. Millions of people are on Twitter. Millions of people use it to engage, and those those engagements are uh, across classes, across sections of people. It's like the fact. I mean, Twitter, I, I think, is it performs a different. Like Facebook is social networking as social networking, where like you know these people. In, in person a good portion of the time and it's like you actually networking with your friends versus Twitter is like you can post at some uh, intensely famous successful journalist and they will fucking reply to you they'll get mad about what you said <laughs> which is just delightful like I, 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 I who have you added I well the best example of this was when I, I posted something about 
uh, Safe Seattle a year or two ago, and I did not tag anyone. At this time, I think I had like 30 followers. I don't have much more than that now. No one liked it. No one retweeted it. Someone was, uh, Google must have been like searching their name and uh, found my post, screenshotted it, put it on the Safe Seattle Facebook page, and it prompted this big, huge thing, which was just <laughs> deeply hilarious. Um, and I mean, another hilarious example of this is um, there's a, a leftist podcaster I listened to uh, met a former Marianne supporter who had switched to supporting Buttigieg. Ew. Um, yeah. That's how he felt about it. And so he had tried to talk to this person and then posted about it. And then Marianne Williamson replied and was like, give me this person's number. I'll call them. So that, that is the sort of thing that can happen on Twitter.com. And it's delightful. Yeah. It's so much fun. Jacob, you're pretty good at Twitter. No, people, I'm not. People should follow you. I mean, uh, can, we, can we get a shout out? What's Jacob's uh, what, what is handle? your handle? It's at Stukov. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah S T U K H O V. We, we got to build on that that uh, two and a half k like tweet that you you. Oh, fired it's out. over three thousand now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so that's the thing. It, it broke snowballs. three thousand late last night. There you go. You know, we got a hashtag for the brand. You know. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really torn because I I really feel both the dynamics that you guys are calling out here. <laughs> like on one hand, it's just you, you go on Twitter and you can very easily go into deep, deep wells of despair. Uh, you can go 30 retweets, replies deep. You can see these people who, like, agree on, like, everything, but, like, because they're tweeting 200 characters at each other at a time, they can't actually have a conversation. But on the other hand, you do get these very delightful sort of, like, quick interactions that are like, wow, suddenly, Mary, literally Marianne Williamson is calling this guy. Or, like... Oh, there was one, and this is not political at all, but it's just sort of delightful. There was a guy who wanted to, uh, there, there's a bowl that's, there's a football game sponsored by Outback Steakhouse. And there's a <laughs> mascot that you can be, the, there's a mascot that's a, the Bloomin' Onion. And the guy was like, I want to be the Bloomin' Onion. And so he tweeted at Outback Steakhouse, like, what do I have to do to do this? And they said, okay, get 40,000 retweets. <laughs> and and they, we, they, people did it. People came together to give this man 40,000 retweets. Wow. And it's, it's delightful. Like, it's, like, it's, it's innocent. It's fun. It's, it's breezy. It makes a good story. It, it's a little inspirational. You want to be a blooming onion? You, you can, right? You can at people who... You, you can talk to people who would never reply to you, and a lot of times they don't, but sometimes they do, right? Yeah. It is, politically speaking, it's really good for antagonizing uh, shitty centrist journalists who are required by their jobs to be on Twitter. And they'll, <laughs> the, and just, it, it's a great way to waste their time. And like, okay, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't particularly agree that like, that's why Kamala Harris dropped out, although her people on Twitter are just the wildest thing. <laughs> the fucking K Hive is like the just, most one of the more insane like sections of uh, centrist Democrat uh, Twitter and politics in general is is that group of people. Okay, so I guess I I go I, I, I actually I go back and forth on it, and it's because on the one hand I see all that, and it's like funny and awesome. I guess I, I see it's it can be like a trap for people who are like trying to be politically and socially engaged to just like fall into Twitter world and spend all this time debating on Twitter world and like getting dunks on people on Twitter and like calling out people on Twitter and doing all this stuff without actually having any material impact on the real world or developing their politics in real life or developing their politics in real life 
But on the other hand, I guess maybe it's good that there's a place for those people to all go so that they're not spending all their time coming to <laughs> meetings and arguing for terrible opinions in real life. So I, I, I don't know. It's like... Oh, yeah, see like a penalty box for, for bad leftists. Yeah, yeah. And and centrist and it, bad, you know, just people who you don't... who, who don't have the, the uh, I don't know, who, who whatever. They're not going to engage well in good faith in the real world, so they can just go hash it out on Twitter where it doesn't matter. But it is also a really good platform for spreading your ideas. Mm-hmm. With Like, once, once you achieve a certain prominence, I mean, I just looked up uh, AOC's uh, Twitter page, which is, honestly, she's really good on Twitter. She's mm-hmm. very good at utilizing that platform. Um, her tweets regularly get 100,000 likes. Mm-hmm. That's like a non-insignificant portion of like the U.S. population that is listening to what she has to say, mm-hmm. which is really good. I, I I wish our politics were getting that sort of platform. That's true. Like it's it's not it's not the same as an in-person interaction. Twitter is 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 a really bad forum for like debate. Like even the, like the way the way the way the comment threads work make it a very confusing. Like it's 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 great for little quips. It's really bad for sustained conversation. Which is fine. There's other platforms for that. But yeah, it has a purpose. And there's some really awesome Twitter accounts like Anarchu. I don't think I know that one. I think I think that's what it's called. It's it's cows with anarchist <laughs> themes. Anarchist Anar- cows. Yeah, it's awesome. Anarchous. Okay. Huh. Should we move to a vote? Yes, let's. Um, I'm in favor. I think uh, I've been sold that it, it has a place. Obviously, it'd be better if it'd be nationalized, but as it, <laughs> yes. as it exists, uh, it is what it is, and, and that's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll join the consensus on this. I'll, uh, just going to bandwagon the whole thing. Yeah, I'll just bandwagon jump. Giddy you know. up. Yep. Okay. I'll d- critical support for Twitter.com. HTTP colon backslash backslash. Not the company, obviously. Right? The company sucks. This is for the platform. Yeah, the platform. Okay. And Teresa, you're on board too? Okay. Critical support for Twitter. Don't add us. We're not on Twitter. Just Jacob. You can add Jacob. At Jacob. Well, at some point, we should probably make a Twitter page for the Podcast, yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't think we're really there yet. No, it's we got, really we got to build the vote. We got to build the yeah consensus. Right. So for now, you can still email us critical subpodcast gmail.com. <laughs> Shove it in that black hole. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening, everybody. We will see you again in two weeks. Something like that. Yep. Adjust yep. your dials of your uh, brain accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you think now. Awesome. <laughs>